At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Resilience is not about endurance. It's about recovery. That's the key. What's up, family? Thank you for tuning in to the Dream Nation podcast. My name is Casanova. I'll be your host, and I'm excited to be bringing to you entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and trailblazers from around the world. Stay locked in with us because we're about to go on a journey that will change your life. What's up, Dream Builder? We are back again with another episode. And today's episode, I am super grateful and excited to be bringing to you today because we have someone who I would consider to be a guru in a positive way when it comes to being resilient. And I think right now where we are in the world, depending on when you're listening at this, but I really say from 2020 to 2021 and now in 2022, we all need to find some way to continue to keep our minds strong and to be resilient. So without further ado, please help me in welcoming my brother, Mr. Adam Markell to the show. Adam, you want to go ahead and say what's up to Dream Nation? What's up, Dream Nation? <laughs> awesome, man. I'm so happy to be here, Casanova. That I, and I, I was like, dream builders, man, that's a great way to refer to people. And I, I'm curious, I wonder if the people who are listening to this and part of your community, if they consider themselves dream builders. I'm putting it out there. That's, oh, yeah. I'm I'm all about dream building. I mean, that's what else are we doing? And you know, <laughs> if not Absolutely. building 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 our dreams, that's that's you know a great way to look at the whole journey. When we come out of the womb, right? We all have a dream, and a lot of times in the beginning, that womb is or that dream is to eat, right? That that dream is to feel loved. But then, as we get older, that dream is to walk and everything. And and then I think as you continue to get older, obviously you have a dream of maybe one day becoming the president or owning your own business or whatever it might be. But or maybe it's playing in the professional sports league, whatever that is—basketball, football, whatever. But we all have a dream, and uh, so that's why I love when. Uh, I get an opportunity to talk to a fellow dream builder uh, like yourself and, and helping other people to build theirs. So for anyone, let's, let's, this is how I always love to start off the shows. And I don't know if you've listened to one, but the way that I love to start it off is I compare us as entrepreneurs, thought leaders, change makers to superheroes. And the reason being is because we're constantly flying around the world. We're putting on our cape and we're trying to solve some of the world's biggest problems. Now, a lot of the times we all know, everybody knows who Superman is, right? And we see him flying around. We see that S on the chest. But a lot of people, if you ask them, they can't necessarily tell you who is Clark Kent. Right. Who's the guys behind the scenes? And so sure. I always love to phrase that to the guests that come on the show. And I want to say, you know, everybody sees Adam Markell on the stages, the TEDx, the books, the everything. But when there's no cameras on, when that cape's not on flying around the world, tell us who is your Clark Kent? Wow. What a great that's a great beginning question, Casanova. And, and it's interesting to me, too, because I use that same a different spin on that analogy in the first book that I wrote called Pivot, which is a book about reimagining and reinventing career and, and, and other areas of your life. And I, I talk about how it is that 
big part of why we are the way we are is because of our identity, the identity that we've, that we have created for ourselves. And people don't often reconsider that they, or consider the fact they can change their identity. And I use the Clark Kent example, you know, he's Clark Kent and then he goes into this phone booth, he comes out as Superman. So for me, when I was reinventing my career, part of the story goes, I was, I was a lawyer at the time. I was 18 years veteran of the legal profession and it was miserable for a lot of that time. And, and it got to a few inflection points. Like one, one particular inflection point was me ending up in the hospital with all the signs of a, of a heart attack uh, happening. And it turned out to be a panic attack instead. And, And that was a day that that really was a catalyst for me and a, and a pretty much a, a day that changed a lot of, a lot of the trajectory of my life. Um, but I hadn't considered at that point that I could be anything other than what I was. I, my identity was a law as a lawyer. That was my Clark Kent. I was a guy yeah. who was, went to law school, passed the bar exams, developed a business, had clients. And so if, and had plenty of money. Um, so if had, if being unhappy was part of that, then that was it. Like, what could I do about it? That's part of the identity, you know? It's like saying, Clark Kent, you, you know, you, you can't wear your glasses anymore. It's like, no, man, I can't see. I, I you know, got to put my glasses on. But once he goes into that phone booth, he, you know, comes out, he's the guy with S on his chest. So I just, I just absolutely love that. I mean, to me, for me, um, the, the me who's not wearing that, um, you know, the cape, I suppose, um, is, is really... Not different. <laughs> I mean, you can ask my kids, ask my wife, ask people who are our friends and stuff. I'm really the same person, which is pretty annoying to people around me, I think, um, uh, in some ways, because I I am a person that's constantly trying to see and, and not trying to see, seeing what where any situation I'm involved in is somehow net positive to me, net positive to others and to me and maybe even to the world. Um, and I'm not a Pollyanna guy. I'm not a half, uh, like a, 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 um, a blindly optimistic person. I was a lawyer for 18 years. I was a litigator. I'm a pragmatic, practical person. I just, I, I know the things that, that work. And when I've discovered something that, that is a rule of thumb that works, then when I deviate from what I know works, I receive pain. I get suffering in exchange for breaking the rules. And I know the rule is, is, I mean, we could start here. The rule is clear as day that my thoughts will, especially the thoughts I entertain and and dwell upon and the thoughts that I have uh, some feeling around, some passion for, that those thoughts that I entertain and dwell upon, they will produce things in my life. They will create things in my life. So if my thoughts are are in a place that... uh, will will routinely um, take me into what's missing or what's wrong with with uh, you know what what I'm I'm uh, lacking I will create lack if I'm looking for what's lacking in another person and that I'm in relationship with then I'll find what's lacking in that person I will create the lack in that in that relationship whereas if my thoughts are are different than that, where I'm seeing what's what's actually additive in, in any situation, meaning the blessing, the thing to be grateful for, the thing that's that's going to be positive, the thing that's going to produce learning. Even if I don't know exactly what those things are, that's exactly what I, I end up manifesting. And I have a mm-hmm. recent uh, little little challenge that I could share with you to, to sort of bring that to life. But 
Um, so does it mean that I don't have sh crap thoughts? No, that it just, it, does it mean that I don't get angry or frustrated or, or, um, you know, when I'm not taking care of myself that I don't, that I, that I, um, without the energy to be patient with myself or be patient with other people? No, I'm a highly imperfect and fallible person, but I know the rules. So I'm also good at recognizing that when crap is showing up, it's because I've broken the rules and then I go back to following the rules. So, yeah. you know, that's me in real life. It's me talking to you on the show, but that's me in, in, in real life as well, which I actually think is a pretty, you know, I don't, I don't often like pat myself on the back, but you know, that's, and, and it shouldn't be, it's not a patting in the back. It's, it's just that it makes sense. If it didn't make sense, I promise you, I wouldn't do it. Oh yeah. This, what I come, what comes to my mind is the law of attraction, right? Your thoughts become things, right? And you can turn whatever that thought is into a reality. So it's better. It takes the same amount of energy, right? To, to think a negative thought and produce negative results as it does to flip the script and think a positive thought to, you know, uh, produce a positive result. So I completely agree with that. Let me ask, was there... Was this always the case for you that you knew the rules or at what point, um, because you talked about when you were unhappy as an attorney, did then you really start to seek the wisdom, the internal wisdom of why am I unhappy or did you always know it? You just chose not to listen or chose not to execute um, internally in the beginning. But then when you did choose to start executing is when you decided to make this pivot or career switch. Yeah, that, uh, I didn't know. And because if I had known and I had ignored it, then there'd be, you know, there, there'd be another conversation to be had. I, um, um, maybe, maybe I knew it intuitively. I think there's a lot that we know that we don't recognize. We know there's a lot that we know that we've forgotten and then we have to remember. And there's all that kind of thing too, but I'll say I was ignorant. I was just unconscious and when we raise our consciousness, it's it's miraculous that, you know, a miracle is nothing more than a, a, a change and can be as little as a change of consciousness, but um, that's not a little thing either. It's a big thing. It's not just, you know, parting the seas and walking on water. It's like the, the way that you can create a new aware, a new insight and then be changed because of that insight is a, is a miracle because we're also, we're so tied to our habits. We're such creatures of habit. So, um, you know, the thing you said earlier about it, the law of attraction, I just want to say that for me, even when I years and years ago saw the secret and read Rhonda Byrne's book and it was revolutionary and still is for a lot of folks. Um, I also didn't know what to do with it. So it was a change of awareness, which was a fundamental, um, miracle by itself, but then what to do with it was kind of missing for me. Um, so it's, I say this cause it's, it's a daily vigilance. It's daily practice. Like you want to, you imagine anything that you could be great at masterful at, whether it's putting a, putting a basketball, you know, through a hoop the way Michael Jordan did it and supposedly, you know, made a thousand shots a day, whether that's, you know, the exact number or not, it's not the point. You commit to mastery of something like that. It involves tremendous amounts of practice and performance. You want to have right. a great body. You want to have great relationships. You want to have great relationships with your kids. You want, you want to have great money, um, relationship with money, et cetera. It's going to take practice. It's going to take vigilance. You want to think rightly. To me, you want to think rightly. You have to practice every single day. I mean, um, 
the book that I've just recently um, and literally two days ago hit the shelves, this book, Change Proof, in many ways, this is a book about what we're discussing because for so many people, especially in the midst of a pandemic that we're living through that's seemingly never ending, uh, at least in terms of the uncertainty, um, it's never ending. And people are exhausted that the ones, organizations and individuals that I get to speak to regularly are exhausted and anxious feeling tremendous anxiety. So yeah, I ended up in the hospital having a panic attack brought on by that anxiety. I think there's a lot of people are on the verge of that, on the verge of just feeling either burned out or, or needing to take a trip to the trip to the emergency room because they can't they can't handle the uncertainty. Um, this is a book about how to how to deal with not just deal with but leverage and utilize uncertainty to your to your advantage. Um, and at at its, its inception, the first domino in that discussion is really what we're discussing now, which is how do you see it? How do you see change? You know, you could and see answer it that. How, how do you? How do you see it? Well, I mean, I ask audiences this. I did yesterday just in a virtual talk where I asked them, you know, how do you guys see change? Or, you know, typically. And often it's that it's going to be hard, that it's going to cause uh, issues in my life, that it it'll be an, like, it's an annoyance, it's an inconvenience, um, it's scary, it's threatening, it's, uh, you know, it's it's a whole host of things that if you, if those are the things you're expecting out of it, again, based on the theory you and I are talking about, philosophically speaking, there's a good chance you're going to manifest exactly what your, what your, your, uh, intention is there, you know, what you're expect anticipating is what you will receive from it. And, and it's the analogy in the book. So start out this book with a story that I, I first told on a Ted stage, um, about a time when I was a lifeguard at a place in New York called Jones beach. And it's an Atlantic ocean beach. And a lot of people from the city of New York would come out, especially Saturday or Sunday, the you know, buses would come out to that particular field. We get 100,000 people, Casanova, can you imagine? 100,000 people on a half a mile spit of sand. And we were 20 lifeguards and I was 19 mm. years old. And this first summer I'm working there, we lost somebody in the surf. And by that, I mean, they went down, we didn't see them. We went for, we went searching for them for well over an hour, all of, closed the beach, searched, couldn't find them. And, and it went from search and rescue to search and recovery and the Coast Guard got involved. So that's the way, that's the way things started for me on that Did they beach. ever find him? Yeah, they did. And it was, you know, and he was yeah. not alive. So, and I got wow. first, firsthand um, look at what grief and, and loss and mourning and, and, and just um, pain, I mean, to his mother and father. He's a kid who was in his 20s, so his parents probably were in their 40s. And, uh, and see them holding each other on the beach. Just, I mean, it was, you know, it's devastating. Right. And obviously we're talking in a time when people have seen that regularly, right? For two plus years, we've been watching people die, whether it's through the pandemic or it's because of issues involving social justice or injustice. I mean, we've just been witnessing, you know, we've been through a time of where we're witnessing a great deal of death. And even just as you and I talked before the show started, you know, there's been an invasion in Ukraine and there's a war going on and people are going to die. People probably already died at this point. Yeah. Um, and and that's that's just devastating. Um, I start with that story for a particular reason, which is that this person, this this young man, he got caught in a rip current, in a, you know, what 
people call riptide. We had a word for it at the beach as lifeguards. We called them sucks because the water just gets sucked out toward the, you know, out outward and anything in its path gets sucked along with it. So the sand gets sucked. And, and so you can tell when there's a rip current or a suck because the water changes color. You go, mm. how in the world the water change color? Well, it's not though. It's the sand getting churned up that turns the water brown. And so right. you can see it as it's sucking things out and people get caught up in it. And, and change for people is very much that same feeling like you're being, something is taking you and it's, you're out of your control and you're being sucked by it and you have no choice. So what do people do? They do the same thing that swimmers do, the same thing that this kid did that, that didn't make it that day. And that is they, they swim against it. They try to swim in, to swim to safety, fight the current, you know, fight the change. And what happens in, in beach lifeguard terms is that when you fight that change, you fight that current, you get exhausted. And then eventually, if you are too exhausted to continue, you go down. And that's what happened with this, this in that situation. Um, but there are other ways to handle it with, that, put, that take you out of harm's way. And you learn how to ride that, that, that uh, rip current in, and take a different approach to it. And then you're not in danger anymore. You're not exhausted and you're not in danger. And I think that's the thing right now is that people are both exhausted and in danger, similar to that situation. Um, so we've got to we've got to adopt a different philosophy around how we we look at change. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's so that's a great analogy, right? Because anytime you're fighting against a current or if you're fighting against a, a windstorm or whatever else, you know, it's going to be very exhausting. But how do you get so for somebody that says, OK, I get that analogy. But for me to turn around and just allow it to take me, right, I don't know what's on the other side of this. How can I be comfortable with putting my back to it and allowing myself to go with this change or whatever type of current that this is? Yeah. I mean, it's, it is a training, like so many things in life that are, are, are difficult at first, pick anything, whether it's playing the piano or we just saw the Olympics. I mean, I don't know if you watch any of that crazy stuff going on, but I mean, people doing quadruple flips, uh, you know, on skis yeah. <laughs> in, the, in the middle of like, you know, zero degree weather and all that. And you go, oh my God, never in a million years could any human being do it. I certainly couldn't. <laughs> but the truth is that, that, if you, if you begin to practice, if you begin to, to apply um, the um, small, the, the, what we like to look at is just the law of small changes, the law of, of, of almost, you could call it the butterfly effect of things, where you, you just see what small changes you can, you can embrace, not big, not huge changes, but just the small changes, then you practice, you practice this art and the science of seeing change for what it really truly is, uh, is an opportunity. You know, everything in the future, the future I should say will teach us in the present that everything happening right now is net growth. It is net mm. positive for us, for our businesses, for the world. But in the moment, it just looks like the water is, 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 is nasty and we're going to die or, you know, it's, it feels there's that energy of it being life and death, which is why people are in part having that anxiety because we're constantly in a fight or flight mode. 
you know, daily, the, the level of anxiety, low level anxiety, I think is even more dangerous today than high anxiety because it's, it's perpetual. The cortisol mm. is coursing in our bodies from every, every text uh, or potential piece of news that, we, that we're consuming and the emails and every other thing that we're just constantly um, on guard. And that is, that is a, a recipe for exhaustion. And I don't have to tell you, in any situation where you're depleted, you will perform less well. So yeah. the answer to all this, if we're, we're at the point of going, well, what's the answer? What's the answer? Um, it is to be able to, to have the energy to handle whatever situation arises. And energy is a thing that's not in, um, you know, it's infinite and finite. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Because for us, when we, when we run out of energy, we're depleted. We don't, we're not able to perform. We're not patient. We're... Uh, more easily angered. We make mistakes more quickly. We're less, more likely to lie and cheat and make uh, poor decisions. All that just because we're depleted. We're tired. We're exhausted. We're, we're out of gas. But when we're filled up, when our energy reserves are are really, um, you know, at maximum capacity, there's almost nothing that we're not capable of of dealing with, handling, and even succeeding at. So the goal is to be able to refill our, our energetic tank. And, and then ultimately any change that happens we're we're agnostic to it. Um, I, I've realized I opened the loop and didn't close it, um, before, but, but I want to, I want to pause here too, because, um, I think, I think it's a good place for, for you and I to just connect on what, you know, what's coming up for you and, and what do you think your, your audience would most want to unpack uh, about this topic before I just, you know, keep going on. Yeah. So I was think I well, I was gonna go to talk to me about what exactly can someone do to be able to there's there's two parts to this because the first one you said it's it's practice every day. But for somebody who doesn't understand what exactly am I practicing? Cause you're telling me to, to practice being comfortable. Does that look like meditation? Does that look like practicing just my breathing? Does that look like reading every day? What exactly is the techniques that I should be looking at practicing so I can be more comfortable with this current is the first part. And then the second part of this is as we can, well, I guess I'll let you answer that first part and then we'll go from there. Sure. So we, we first have to start by, by not practicing the wrong things. So 
resilience, like, so change proof is the title, but the subtitle is leveraging the power of uncertainty to build long-term resilience. So that's the through line of this book. How do we build long-term resilience? We don't build long-term resilience by practicing the wrong things. And the things that people practice that are, are not serving them, let's say, are trying to outrun or outlast the things that are, are causing them stress. So people trying to hang on, hang in there through the pandemic, trying to outlast it, outrun it, out, you know, whatever, um, it doesn't work because it ultimately will lead us to the same place. I mean, there are people who are exhausted at present who've been the kind that could just run and run and run endlessly, endlessly, just no matter what would happen, they just keep going, going and going. And even those people are at a state of depletion because this is a race that has no end. You know, the the fact that the pandemic started out and we thought, or for some people thought, hey, it'll be over in three months. You know, then it was six months and nine months and a year. And then it's a year and a half and it's two years plus, And it's this variant and that variant and it's this thing and it's that thing. But the uncertainty hasn't cleared up. It's been a prolonged period of disruption and uncertainty. And you cannot, you cannot endure that. There's no model where it's practicing endurance, meaning like Rocky Balboa, you know, Rocky's thing, which is great for, I love the movie. I love all the movies. And it's a great Hollywood, you know, concept is this guy can keep taking the punch. Like every single time he gets hit, he gets back up. He keeps going forward. And that's the model of resilience that people try to practice. And, and, and that's the one that causes them the most harm in the end. We've been researching resilience. Myself and our team have been re researching resilience for several years. This book is actually built out of the study of 3,000 leaders, people that are leading teams of other people, leading organizations, leading themselves globally. Everything from Fortune 50 companies to those that are just getting started. 3,000 assessments of leaders. And we found that resilience is not about endurance. It's about recovery. That's the key. The endurance model is the thing that you practice. When people practice that, that leads to the wrong direction. This is not about bouncing back. This is about bouncing forward. To bounce forward, we need to be resilient in the present because the changes are just going to keep coming. And they're just going to keep coming at greater velocity, I believe, and frequency. So to learn from the future, we have to know that we the best our best approach to the future, planning for the future, Leveraging the future is to be resilient in the present. You build your resilience now before you're going to need it next. And that's all about ritualizing recovery. Got it. There's, there's a lot to unpack there. Cause as I hear this, I think I, I can, I, again, there's a lot of people that's thinking, okay, let's use this pandemic for example, right? I've gotten hit hard. I've maybe lost my mom, my dad, maybe, you know, some friends during this pandemic and, um, I lost my job during this pandemic. I'm trying to figure out how do I do the freelancer thing? And, and there's just a lot going on. So I've continued to get punched in the face. So what exactly are you telling me to do then? You're telling me to just think that there's better days ahead. Cause you said, Hey, don't focus on keep getting punched in the face. Right. Um, or I guess, let me ask, Is what are you telling me to do if that is my scenario? Yeah, thank you. That's, and, and I'm really glad that you, you asked it the way you did because those are things that are there. That is, that is real suffering. That is 
real loss and pain. And so I am never ever saying that that's something you should ignore or or minimize in terms of the process of grieving those losses and feeling what you what you feel about them. Um, this is about what you are doing in the moment, moment to moment throughout your day, vigilantly throughout your day, so that the next time the punch comes in the form of whatever it looks like, you're better able to, to utilize that moment, not be set off or set back by that moment. And so, you know, business disruptions are, are opportunities in disguise. Most people don't know how to how to use that or do that. So that's why I say that's opportunistic. I don't think it's opportunistic when a person in your life dies. That's different. But how you work with that, how do you, you get the benefit out of that for yourself, for your growth, as well as for the, the process of honoring that person and appropriately grieving and grieving in a, in a way that is, uh, that, that uh, honors that, honors that loss and honors that person. You know, that's not something you do um, without having prepared for it ahead of time is what I'm saying. Most people, when they're caught off guard in those moments, they're just, they're, they're, they're brought to their knees. And when one after another, one of those losses or one of those disruptions after another, after another, after another comes, as it has been the case for so many people, um, it really can, it can wipe, it can wipe you out. It can lead to the kind of a, of your being lost. I, I can't explain the loss of, of life. Uh, there are things that are well beyond my pay grade. You know, I have faith and I believe in, in other, other, other spiritual things about those concepts, but ultimately we're here and, and our moment to make something of our lives and to be, to, to, to glorify our, our own being, our, our own existence, um, is now it's in this present moment. You can't, none of us go back and change what happened a minute ago. Um, and it, we can't live, we can't live, um, in, in reaction to whatever is happening in the world and in other people's lives. We have our own life to live that hopefully is positive to the people around us. You want to remove hate from the world? Stop being a hateful person. You don't like the anger that we're hearing all everywhere? Stop being such an angry person. You don't like the way people are judged unfairly? Stop judging people unfairly. I know that's going to be confronting for some people. So be it. That's, that's how we do it. You can't change anybody else. Not your brother, not your sister, your mother, your father. Certainly not people that are, are living you know, over in Eastern Europe. But you can change how you approach today and the kind of human being that you are in the world. That's what you can do. And I believe in, in, in the butterfly effect. And you don't have to believe in it, but it's science. So, you know, it's the old saying, just because you don't believe it doesn't make it, you know, it Not doesn't true. make it less true, right? So, right. you know, we, we can literally be the, you know, I don't want to turn this into a motivational rant, um, but we have responsibility for ourselves. So to me, the greatest responsibility that we can take in the moment from this this perspective and the body of work that is this book is to be resilient mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And if you work on being resilient in that way, you're going to show up able to help other people. Like 
I told you the story of that we lost this guy and it was devastating to see that loss, but it was devastating for us as a lifeguard crew. And so the captain of our, of our crew group got us all together and, and he gave us, man, he gave us quite a talking to um, about what we were there to do, which was to make sure that nobody ever went down in our water again, ever. <laughs> he said something like, uh, you know, you make the save or you die trying. I mean, that's like a really intense thing to say. I mean, we were all right. young, young lifeguards. But I'll tell you what, I worked there when I was going through law school. I was a teacher, middle school English teacher for a while. Um, for seven additional summers, I worked at that beach. We never, we never lost anybody again. Nobody ever went down in our water again. And the way that we were able to turn that whole thing around was we adopted some really important practices. So you asked me tangibly, what can you do? So what we started to do was to look after each other as lifeguards differently. You know, we had each other's backs in a different way. Um, we would work an hour in the lifeguard stand and then we would have an hour when we were not in the stand. Now, on big, big days, like days when the water was really raging and there was 100,000 people there, the down hour, the hour we weren't in the stand, we would be taking a break behind the stand. We'd have an umbrella, we'd eat our lunch, we'd take a nap, we'd read a book, you know, those days when it was huge. When the weather was, you know, not, you know, the water wasn't as, as uh, ominous, we would be able to leave the stand and we'd go take a walk if we wanted. We'd go in the, into the lifeguard shack and lift weights, you know, eat our lunch, whatever it was. That was our time to recover so that when we were called back up into the stand to look at the water for an hour and get in the water and, and save people who were drowning and uh, avoid those situations by being alert and making, you know, self-disrupting the situation before the, before the change occurred. Like we would see these sucks start to form, these rip currents start to form on the beach. And people don't realize this, but they move. Depending on the way the currents are, they move. They'll be here one minute, and then 10 minutes later, you know, they're going to be over there. So when we would see those things forming and changing, we would move people around with our whistles. In fact, I've got my old lifeguard whistle literally right here. Like this whistle, you just go like this. You know, that was, we'd be getting the attention of another lifeguard. And then two two of those toots would be that we're getting in the water to work save somebody. Uh, three would mean that we're, you know, somebody's missing. We don't, just like that day, that's the only time I heard three whistles in seven years was that day. But two whistles was routine. You were constantly in and out of the water, man. That's exhausting. How on oh, earth yeah. could 20 lifeguards have an impeccable record after that was that we would do this thing we call a toggle, uh, or we didn't call it then, I refer to it now as a toggling, back and forth like a light switch between being on and being off. And that's what we can do right now to gain our resilience mentally in our minds. You asked about meditation, about quiet stillness. You do that because it's an opportunity to give your mind some break, some time, some downtime. Um, and that means that when you've opened your eyes and you're not meditating, you're back to the world you live in, you can think better. Your critical thinking, your ability to, to manage stress is different. That's mentally, emotionally, we hang on to a lot of stuff. What's your process each day to let go of that stuff? What's your process to handle your emotions in the moment? So many people, their process is to ignore it. Right. <laughs> Wait till I have a beer in my hand later on, right? Wait till I get home <laughs> right. and I, you know, I can give my dog a nudge with my foot. I mean, that's the approach. You know, so we can do it differently. Physically, what are you doing 
each and every day at various intervals. Like I was a swimmer in college. We call it interval training for a reason. You, you know, you're, we'd sprint and then we'd rest and we'd sprint and then we'd rest. It's the same thing. What are you doing? What are you baking into your day to create that interval training for yourself physically and, and even spiritually so that you're ready for anything? Like, like if you were going to run and, you know, have an Olympic race to, to perform in, you would make sure you had good sleep the night before. You'd be drinking water. Your thoughts would be right. You'd be present. Yeah. I would agree. I would definitely, definitely agree. Um, let me ask you, you've had a lot of success, right? And, and many of the things that you've done. But if there was one thing you could look back on, and I used to always ask if you could change, but a lot of people said they wouldn't change anything because it's made them who they are, which, you know, I kind of call a little bit of BS on that because I think we would all go back and change something, right? Like me, I would change losing my mom. Um, but anyway, I've learned to phrase this in a different way. And so now the question that I always pose is, if there was one thing that you wish that you would have implemented sooner, to accelerate your path and your journey and your dream to where you are today, what would that one thing be? Mm, that really is a great framing. Um, yeah, beautiful Casanova. Um, it would be that I, I would have recognized that the, the master of my fate is, is always my mind. I didn't realize that till I was in my 40s. That my mm. mind, nobody can take that from any of us. I, so true. You know, you think about Nelson Mandela as a great example of this. They locked this guy in a tiny little cell for 27 or 28 years. Not only does he survive, which is just a miracle all by itself that anybody could come out of that alive and not insane. He comes out and, and leads a country out of apartheid. I mean, right. give me a break, right? Like that's mm -hmm. a master of the mind. This is a guy who mastered his thoughts for 20, for, for that length of time, day by day by day. How often are you meeting somebody that's practicing, the practice work comes up again, practicing their, th their, their thought, um, their thought performance in that deliberate way? <laughs> right. No, you don't, you don't see it too often, right? But that's why the greats become great, right? And it's like the Jim Collins book, From Good to Great, Right. Because um, a lot of people, they, they you know, they, they practice it here and there. But just like you said, are you practicing it daily? Because if you practice it daily before you know it, it will become muscle memory. And that's how you master it. Right. But it is those little things. Right. It's the tiny, the tiny day to day activities that create the big snowball effects. And so in the beginning, people will ask you why you're doing it, whatever that little thing is that seems so um, obscene or seems so crazy. But then in the end, they'll ask you how you did it. So I'm definitely a firm, firm believer in that. Um, this has been a phenomenal show, my brother. Um, I want to ask for anybody, we'll make sure that we put all of the links in the show notes, but for anybody who wants to stay directly connected with you, tell us where can they find you at? A couple of places. I mean, they, they can go to adammarkel.com and that's an easy way to see what we're up to, um, which is great. The book that we've got out, Change Proof, I think is a, a wonderful launching off point to the relationship. I say relationship because we really do work quite closely with folks when they 
get in touch with us and we don't have like a, you know, there's no bots that are answering. It's literally us. So you can go to changeproof.com to find out more about the book and, and the resources and a lot of really wonderful gifts, bonuses and things that, that come along with it. Even if you bought it somewhere else, it's all good. That's great. Um, and then the last thing, which I think is really important is when we talk about those four areas, those four zones of resilience, we invite people to get a baseline for themselves on, on where it is that they're they're either hitting the mark or missing the mark in terms of those their own resilience. And you can go to resiliencerank.com, resiliencerank.com. And in three minutes, this simple 16 question assessment, literally is three minutes long, um, they'll get a baseline score in all four of those areas, as well as a host of resources and tools to be able to start to create new rituals, new practices for uh, performing resilience. And, um, and that's where the journey you know, may begin for a lot of folks as well. Cool. Well, we definitely appreciate you sharing those resources with us. And uh, I want to be the first one, if no one else to tell, if no one else has told you today, to say thank you. And I appreciate you. I appreciate you coming by, sharing your story, sharing so much wisdom with all of us who are dream builders. And mm. um, yeah, it's been an honor and a pleasure. Uh, remember Dream Nation, just as he said, you have to take action on these daily practices because if you do not, as we all know, that dream that you have, and as I said, we all have a dream. If you don't take action behind it, that dream will only merely be a fantasy. That's all for this one. We'll catch you on the next one. That's all we got for this episode. Thank you for sticking around. That truly means a lot to me. And hopefully that means that we delivered massive value on this one. If you haven't already, the way that you could say thank you to myself and the team is just by heading over to iTunes and leaving a review and a rating. That's what iTunes loves to see. That's how we get out there even more. And I would definitely, definitely be grateful for it. I know the team would as well. Do me a favor and head on over to dreamnationpodcast.com. That's where you're going to be able to find all of the resources that we talked about in today's episode, as well as more exclusive content. And you'll also be able to sign up to our email list where we have more exclusive content. And we always love to hear the feedback from you all because you're our tribe. So remember, in the dream we trust, we'll see you on the flip side. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.